people come in it's like okay this is the real deal um he might be 20 but he he can build great tables that's the voice of dustin keith owner of dustin's woodshop llc and i'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor hey everyone what do you know about shaper tools specifically the shaper origin as a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Dustin Keith, owner of the Mount Airy, Maryland-based furniture company, Dustin's Woodshop, LLC. Now for context, Dustin is 20 years old. He started woodworking for the first time two years ago in a high school shop class. Now, fast forward back to today, he has a 3,600 square foot shop he makes and sells six to eight dining room tables a month, and he's poised to take his company nationwide. How, you may ask, did he do it? How did he grow so fast? That is what we're about to find out. Follow along as we talk about making the right connections, learning how to source smarter, how the appearance of your shop matters, and much more. Dustin may be young, but he has a lot to share. So let's get started and hear his story in his own words. I took woodworking my senior year of high school and I absolutely like, I love doing it. It was, I've always like worked with my hands when I was younger and stuff, but I've never done like fine woodworking. And that class really taught me a lot about just how to do it. And it was definitely one of my favorite classes, but the thing was when we were building these projects and stuff is when COVID hit. So we had to go to online school that year for the last, I would say three months or so. I had a lot of like free time, you would say, even though I sh should have been doing school, but I kind of wasn't. And I was just bored because there was just, it was COVID and so nothing was open. You couldn't go anywhere. So my dad had a old craftsman's table saw and a radio arm saw in the shop that he probably wasn't used for probably past five years. And we had the woodworking class and like the assignments were like building stuff out of cardboard, which I was like, I don't want to do this. And since we had those two saws, instead of me building stuff out of cardboard, I started doing it out of wood and I was building stuff. Like it was actually like old, like uh, deck boards that <laughs> I was using to build stuff, nothing fancy, just to kind of, make up for the time that I was kind of like not in the shop. And during those three months, I was just building stuff around the house. I know I built like a coffee table. I built a uh, TV stand and a whole bunch of other stuff just to be in the house, which I guess kind of everyone kind of, not everyone, but a lot of people did that. And then when school ended, usually I do landscaping every summer. Um, but that summer, my boss just didn't, he wasn't busy enough to use me. 
So I kind of had to figure out something that was I could do for that summer to get some money to save up and everything. And I was like, well, I like doing woodworking. Why don't I just like make a Facebook page, come up with the amazing name Dustin's Woodshop and uh, just try to make projects uh, over the summer and see if it just makes me enough money just to get through the summer till college. And so I was just building whatever I kind of wanted to build, just small projects, coffee tables, uh, wine racks, cutting boards. And I guess every time I would sell something small like that, I would, I'd buy like a used tool. So I bought like a little DeWalt planer, a uh, like old jointer. That was till I got to college. And I was thinking like, when I get to college, I'm probably not going to do this as much, but it kind of went the other way. The first week of college, I uh, got like a first custom order which was really cool. It was like a big coffee table. I didn't have a class on Fridays. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would work on these projects, get them done and then deliver them all in that kind of, can't say that weekend, but it would either be that or like the next weekend I would deliver it. And with COVID, I guess college just wasn't the, like what I was expecting it to be. Still nothing to do. We sat in the room all day and I, I had a scholarship for football. So it was like waiting for football practice to happen. And it was part of me that wanted to do woodworking so bad just like, I guess, came out a lot. And I was like, well, I'm getting these jobs. Why don't I go ahead and see if I can do this full time? So I was in college for a month, dropped out. And then we have a three car garage that my parents let me use um, that I was working out of for probably a whole year. I was working out of it. I would say the first eight to 10 months, I was building whatever project I could possibly get um, from like, I was doing cabinets, I was doing tables, desks and like I even did a, a built-in I was kind of like I had found this formula on YouTube that I was using for like pricing my tables out and I would sit like my calculations in I'd be like look online for like other woodworker companies near me that's selling the same stuff be like yeah I mean that's pretty close it's a good price I guess I could sell it for and which I guess it didn't really matter because I didn't have any overhead to worry about I would free rent I guess living with my parents so all I had to do is just try to make money um, and I would say that was for until mid 2021 to August is when I got a, like a pretty big job doing cabinets and the countertops for this bakery turned out really good. But after I did, I was just, I, I did not want to do cabinets anymore. Um, I wanted to focus on tables. I like, I, I don't know why just tables were something I really like to do. And so focus on tables and the table jobs I was getting, they were custom, but they weren't very unique. There were people saw a table they liked and then came to me because it wasn't the right size that they needed and stuff like that. And so I would build those. And I was always thought, it's like, how can I like change? Like, how can I make myself more unique compared to other like companies? And I was talking to this company in Costa Rica. They reached out to me and they sold live edge slabs. And when I was talking to him, I was like, okay, I saw like pictures of the slabs they had. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is going to kind of take my company to the next level. And so I was trying to get like loans to get the, it was a bulk order with like a sea container full of slabs. Um, I was trying to get loans from the bank and I just could not get anything. So <laughs> I ended up convincing like different people, my family, like my aunt, grandparents, my mom and dad to give me a loan for this container. And so I ordered the container in November, got it in February of 2022. And then ever since then, it's just been, I've been selling these tables like with the wood from Costa Rica. And it was kind of, my pricing was rough during the, like before I got it, but then I kind of like realized it's like, 
I'm one of a couple people who even have this type of wood in Maryland. I can kind of raise this price on this these tables and kind of because they're just in their own category. And so after I did like raise the price, it just kind of kept on going from there. I guess I kind of got in with the good clients where they had the money to spend and they, they would tell their friends about it. And then it just kept on snowballing from there. And I guess that leads us to now where I'm actually getting ready to purchase my second container from Costa Rica. It's been a wild journey. And it's been really fun. It does sound like a wild journey. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing to hear because your story is very similar to a lot of people's stories who start a furniture company, but it's so incredibly condensed. What takes people years and years to figure out the idea of leaving what they were doing and starting their own company and then figuring out how to place themselves in the market and get clients and then deciding how they want to differentiate themselves from the rest of the companies and then moving forward in that regard. And that takes people years and years. But for you, it's it's basically a a one to two year journey so far. So it's exciting to talk to you at this point because you are on one hand so far ahead of the curve of starting your own business, but on the other hand, still so incredibly fresh to it that you're still learning. So you're in this, you're in this middle ground that I really want to explore and really want to talk with you about. You started senior year of high school, and then less than a year later, you had made that decision to go full time. What changed in your mind? Because that is a very short time span. What what made you think that this idea of building furniture that you had really just started could be what you wanted to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. So, I mean, I always wanted to uh, have my own business ever since I was like young. I always wanted to have my own business and I even went to college for business entrepreneurship. So it was something that was always in my head and I always thought it was going to be landscaping because that's what I knew how to do, but I just never loved landscaping. It was always in the hot summers doing um, like building patios. That were, it was just, it was just kind of, it was hard and it just wasn't something I could see myself doing. I guess when I just started doing woodworking, I just like, it was just so fun to me. And as soon as I got like that first job, that like, custom job, I was like, okay, this might be something I could do. And with me, was, I am young. So like versus like people who waited many, many years to do it. I don't have I don't have kids. I don't have like, I don't, I don't pay rent for like a house and stuff like that. I live with my parents. I was using their garage. So it was pretty much, everything was pretty much free for me. It was just, can I make this work? And so like, they definitely helped me out when, I, when times are like, were tough, which I mean, they, so they helped me out, but it's not like they're giving me free money that I'm never giving back and stuff. But uh, with giving me the space to work in and just get feeding me and stuff like that, it just made it a lot easier to where, when I first started, it was definitely kind of a struggle to get there um, because it was something that's like, what am I doing next week? What am I doing next week? And, but it also didn't have to think about, am I going to make rent this month? So when starting it, it was definitely easier, but say like now, now I have a shop that I ran out. So it, it'll be like, okay, I need to make this amount of money and this time period so I can pay rent. I can pay for ads and other stuff like that, just the overhead cost. And I would say, 
it was easier for me to do it since I had the support of my parents. I know I actually, I talked to my woodworker teacher still and he always wanted to start his own business, but he always, he actually stopped teaching and went to work for this company. And he always said like he wanted to start his business. He just can't do it because of the family he has. And I think that was my number one reason why I could do what I did is because of that support I had from my parents. Having that support network for anyone, whether they have a job and have a family or don't have a job, don't have a family, having a support network to lean on, that support network is what gives them the ability to to make that jump like you did. I really <laughs> and I and I and I'm laughing, but it's in a it's in a good natured way. But you keep saying when I started and through the hard times. And I keep thinking that in this really short timeline that you're doing it, the hard times were a month or a week and for a while and a while in your timeline is <laughs> about a year. You were working and living in a free environment. So anything that you got that was above material cost was profit for you. But now you've moved into 3,600 square foot shop and you have rent and you have bills and you have overhead. So you need to really dial in your pricing and make sure that this business that you started can be sustainable for the long haul. What does your pricing structure look like? What were you doing in the beginning? And then what did you change when you learned more about the business and you started to get more orders and then you had to deal with bills? How did how did it start and, and where is it now? Right now I'm in a group where it's we meet every week where we talk about business. We give recommendations to each other. We kind of pass over jobs to each other. They've been really helpful. And probably the most helpful was one of my customers. It was really a wake up call for me. Um, cause he came in, he asked me like how, what my formula was. And I remember just saying to him, I was like, yeah, here's my formula and how I calculate everything. But I, he was like, what does it mean? And I was like, um, I'm not really sure what it means. And he kind of, he like kind of snapped on me kind of, which was good because it really told me what I needed to do. And he, he started talking about overhead costs per man hour is what he taught me. And ever since he taught me that I now know like the profit margins I'm making on each table how much to charge for each table. And you, you kind of mix that in like you, I don't just exactly follow that formula, but you kind of mix it in with the uniqueness of that table back to like people helping you just reach out to people. Um, there's so many business owners out there that want, will want to help. Like I, like I'm the same way. I'm only 20. I don't have that much experience, but I have enough experience to say like, Hey, you can do something like it's, there's something stuff you can do to help you grow as a business and to make sure to pay attention to how much you're spending and how much you can spend and like your profit margins and stuff like that. Yeah. So when it started, it was, I searched up how to price tables online. I found this YouTube video and at the time, since I didn't have any overhead, so really I would, I would say I got extremely lucky by not having over any overhead because I feel like if I was using that formula, now I would, I would go out of business because I just would not know how to price anything. And my prices would be way under and I wouldn't be able to pay those bills. When I talked to that, um, my customer about it and he, what he taught me was the overhead per man hours. 
And so I can tell you the exact amount of dollars that I need to make per hour to just break even. And then so from that, if I'm just breaking even, then you kind of learn how to price from like how long something should take. So if like the milling process should take an hour or two hours, you kind of learn that and you say, okay, so this is going to take that hour sanding and then all the finishing and all that other stuff. And then you put in the, how much materials cost. And then what I always thought was profit was just materials cost to uh, price of the table. That's what I thought profit was. I had no idea that profit was, you had to put in the time it took, so your hours and stuff like that. And so he taught me all of that and he was excellent with it. And really I, I, I call him all the time and talk to him because he just knows what he's talking about. So he has a huge business um, here in Maryland. Say if I'm doing a coffee table or something, something like not super unique, I would price it kind of with that formula and then have a smaller profit margin on it just because it's not something that it's, it's not crazy unique. But then when it comes to like the ta- live edge tables that I get slabs from Costa Rica, especially like we do epoxy, like there's projects where I make a ton of profit margin on them, but there's also more risk, like especially using epoxy with leaks and stuff like that. But it's all like, so that profit margin covers that mishap of something going wrong. And the good part of that is so with the, like high, having a high profit margin, you can take your time with these projects because that project will double the rent pretty much. Like you can pay rent for the next two months or like overhead everything because of just how unique it is. And so you're charging for art more than the actual piece. And so I get to make the best table possible for customers. So I can take, say if something went wrong with finishing, I can take the finish back off and do it. It's not like I want to do it, but I can because I want to make the best product for the customer because I charge that type of money. And also doing that is like when you have those higher prices, you have those customers that are in higher end markets that have friends who are higher end markets and want those higher prices. So they, if you're building tables for people who don't have a lot of money, like hate say, but like, they're not going to, like they're not going to recommend you to people who have a lot of money because it's just kind of not people kind of stay in their like social class, I guess you can call it, which is not a good thing to say, but um, it's true. And so when you sell those high end things to the higher, like the social market that's higher, make a lot of money, they're going to recommend to their friends. And then it just keeps on snowballing down to that price where it's just going to stay there. And then sooner or later, I, I feel like marketing is like what I'm kind of, I'm thinking about changing the name of the company so I can feel like a hiring company, not just a kid in, in a wood shop really is what the sounds like. But um, so I can kind of even do it even higher than what I'm making now, just because of the name in the business. I want to get into marketing definitely and, and talk more about how you're getting clients and how you're building your business. But I just want to give context to everybody listening of how much work you're actually doing in your shop. What does a monthly production list look like for you? How many projects are you putting out each month on average? So I try to get at least two tables done a week. And with, depending on like the project, which it could even sometimes be more. So when I do the live edge tables, they're pre-epoxied from Costa Rica. They're sanded to 120, which I still have to flatten them. So sanding, it really doesn't matter. But the pre-epoxy with the small cracks and stuff, really makes a difference in time that I don't have to worry about. Um, so those tables can take me two to three days at most. And it's just pretty much sanding it, uh, well, flattening, sanding it and putting on legs. And so it's easy process and that makes the most money, which is like, you wouldn't think, or like when you're something that easy, you should make a lot of money on it. But at the same time, 
the back to like the artwork thing. It's that. So I try to get at least eight tables done a month. It's a good amount of times I fall short, but that's kind of like the piece where I would say I'm not backed up far enough as I want to be where I have to wait for certain materials to come in like table legs and stuff like that. But it's definitely, I know in the f- near future, I'm, I have a company I'm working with that they're going to be um, putting me on their website and they're going to be have a, I'm going to build a couple of tables for them that they're going to have on their website. And then they're also going to have a custom spot for me. So that's going to really back me up a lot. And so <laughs> I'm looking forward to that and hopefully I'll be ready for it. Now, I know I promised we were going to talk about your marketing and how you're getting this business, because I know a lot of people listening are like, how is this 20 year old who's been in business for two years turning out, (laughs) turning out eight tables a month and getting more work on top of that? And I want to get into your customers, but you brought up a really good point that I don't want to pass over, and that is the idea of sourcing things that you're not making everything yourself and this is a a concept that a lot of people have a hard time getting over or it takes them a while to figure out that with an asterisk this is a very specific company a company that's turning out a lot of things or wants to be a production company if you want to have a company that you're building everything yourself, then you don't need to listen to this part. But if you are looking to have a high yield production company that you're turning out a lot of things, then you either need to scale your employees and have a lot of employees to turn these products out, or you need to be able to source and you need to be able to source the different parts of your furniture so you can easily put it together, have minimal work on your end, and then send it to the client. And you said, it's hard to believe that something this easy can make you a lot of money, but it's only easy because you set yourself up to be successful. You found the right place to source your wood from, you source your legs from somewhere else. And so you are assembling it, you are doing work, you are building furniture, but it's easy because you're setting yourself up for success. Can you talk on your sourcing process and what you're building in the shop versus what you're bringing into the shop? And also, when did that idea happen in your mind that you don't have to build everything yeah, I, um, especially with like table legs. I know when I first started, I was welding the table legs, which thinking back on it, it's like, why are you doing that? You don't know that much about welding. Um, and there's companies out there that uh, they make it all the time where you can just order it. They're better quality than what you have. And it's easy. it doesn't take as much time because you're not building it. And so when you think about it, when you're buying something that's made at a high end like that, you're saving so much money versus me doing it because of the overhead. And so especially the table legs where I, I started it. And then when I went down to Costa Rica and he was like, don't make your own table legs. You don't, you don't, you're not, you're not a welder. You're a woodworker. Do that. Um, Do just woodworking. And so when it comes to like what I do in the shop, it's pretty much 
cutting down the wood, sanding the wood, finishing the wood. <laughs> and that's pretty much, and then attaching the table legs is pretty much what I do. But so like, that's what you do in the shop. And then you also have this stuff where you're doing the designing of the table. They want a epoxy table. You got to figure out the right look for the epoxy to go in to make it not just look like everyone else has it down the middle. And yeah, there's definitely like people like Doc Wright. Uh, they really inspired me with the designs. Just him picking out like the slabs they picked out and the designs, like you can make a simple table look absolutely amazing just by figuring out how the tree is going to look pretty much of like the, the grain and the design of the actual tree just makes it and he knows how to make it like a great look like it does and so it's definitely I always keep like an eye on his stuff and like how can I kind of mimic this to <laughs> get that kind of amazing look that he's got um you got to make it unique and that's how you get those sales but with the wood from Costa Rica I knew they filled it with epoxy the cracks and stuff and it was just a no-brainer to do that because of just there's so much stuff go wrong actually this morning i was at the shop and I, a whole bunch of epoxy leaked on the floor when it comes to epoxy so it's better when another company does it and so that was a huge plus in me growing my business and doing the tables as fast as i could, like possible and and because you have to deal with like small cracks and stuff and you fill it with epoxy and the next morning the crack's still there and so I think the biggest thing was just the epoxy in that wood, plus it being like perfectly combed, dried and stuff like that. And so, and I think it's it, with them connecting with them was extremely lucky. Like you can't get a big four foot by eight foot slab of walnut for a thousand dollars. It's going to cost you $6,000 or so. And that's just the pricing. And when I first started and I was trying to charge $6,000 for a table. It's for instance, I can't be spending $6,000 just on a slab and I just didn't have the customer base to do so. And that's kind of where the wood from Costa Rica came in. Cause it was a lot cheaper. It was huge. Like compared to the prices in the U S they're bigger trees and they're a lot cheaper. And plus they're pretty much finished already. And that's kind of just how the process of the tables are going in the shop. It's been great. <laughs> are you still building other pieces are people still coming to you for other custom pieces besides tables or are you primarily a table company at this point um i'm pretty much a table company i always get asked from customers if hey can you build um like well i, I do countertops as well but um can you build like some cabinets for me a built-in and so i have these companies that i kind of send over the job to um, to do that work. And sometimes like, say if it's, they need cabinets and a countertop, I'll we'll co like collab with it and do, I'll do the countertop and they do the cabinets. And so it's kind of, kind of helps like me still get those customers. So I'm not turning them down because I'm still doing stuff for them and they're still like connecting with me, but I've, I've got to where I'm busy enough just to do tables and I love doing tables and I don't like doing cabinets. So <laughs> I should, I take those other people to do. Now let's talk about marketing and your clients and how built up this reputation in such a short amount of time to be as busy as you are. The floor is yours. How did you go from being a high school kid taking woodshop for the first time to a year and a half, two years later, having a full furniture business with high-end clients that you're very in demand. How did you do it? How did you build your business so fast? When I first started, Facebook 
was really good for some reason. I'm not sure why it was like that, but there was posts when I was, uh, I would post something and it would reach like 67,000 people, which is a crazy number to reach. And so that was, it was really all Facebook is what I had. I had a website, actually, I still have that website getting one, a new one built right now, but I'm still using that website, which I need to change. But um, <laughs> Facebook was so good when I first started. And even for that, like I didn't run ads on Facebook. I didn't do, I didn't do anything other than just post on Facebook. And for all of 2020 and then to like, I would say mid 2021 is when it was like, it was amazing for Facebook just to reach so many people with these uh, projects I built. And then I, they started to slow down towards the end of 2021. And so I was like, okay, let me try ads or something like that. So I tried Facebook ads and then I would do the Facebook ad and I would then reach, like I would, I would do spend a hundred dollars on an ad and I'll get three projects from it, which was crazy. And so that was probably the last three months of 2021 and then 2022 hit and Facebook pretty much crashed with everything. I could not, I can hardly get a, like a lot of views on stuff anymore through Facebook. So now I have like Google ads have been really good um, right now. This company that I've been working with, they told me to message uh, one of these people to get a um, commercial made. So we're now on TV, which is pretty cool. And then those, the target, the target audience for those commercials are really crazy um because i'm so i I just target a county and their income level based on their what their income level is and they'll show it to their house and stuff like that and then what i've always when talking to people with like marketing um in companies they say always like when you market at one area hit them again with the same marketing so i have the uh the commercial playing there and then now i have um, postcards getting sent out to the same area. So it's kind of like how they can just remember your name, I would say. And so that's kind of finding like new clients. It kind of when doing tables, um, usually it's hard to kind of get repeat clients unless maybe they have like another house or something like that. Um, but they are really good at like, usually like they'll have people over at their house and they'll say, Oh, who built this table? And they'll be like, Dustin's Woodshop built it. And then I'll, they'll say, oh, whoever rec- recommended me to you. And, uh, and so that's kind of been, so me starting in 2020 and I'm now starting to see that is where I'm getting not repeat clients, but I'm getting recommendations, especially like it's pretty cool where someone asks, is there a good shop around here? And I'll get 10 people to comment my um, shop, but marketing is definitely tough. You can't do everything yourself because you don't, you don't know everything. You're, you have to ask other people for help. And that's what I've done. It's been talking to uh, marketing companies that don't charge me an arm and leg. And sometimes they just even just talk to me. And especially this company that I'm about to work with, she, I think she's going to take me over the top, which is going to be awesome uh, where she has a huge presence on the internet and she sells like chandeliers and all this other stuff all throughout the United States. And I'm going to have a whole section on her website of my stuff that people can buy. And then that's, so that's going to be like me building proxy tables that kind of look similar, but um, they're still unique. And then they'll also have another spot on that page would be someone looking for a $20,000 table to put somewhere. So it's definitely, it's been very wild the way marketing has been with through like Facebook and the website and all that stuff. It's definitely taken a big turn from when I first started to now. You're having all the success and you're, you're seeing it. You're seeing word of mouth and you're seeing your name and your furniture being shared around to different clients. And yes, repeat clients are hard when you're only building dining room tables because 
not that many people have multiple dining room tables in their house, but you're, yeah. you're getting recommendations from these people to their friends and family. And, and that's how you're getting clients, but you're also right in the middle of thinking about pivoting your name and changing your name to reflect the high-end clients that you're going after. Do you have any reservations about making those changes when you've had so much success so far? Yeah, the name was, it's very, it's a local name. Um, a lot of people local know it, but it's something that if I'm trying to grow to different states, which I think I, I just need to do, even though there's a lot of people here, like I said, it's hard to get a client to buy more than one table. So um, my best bet would be changing the name to a higher name to find the higher audience in other states that where they will be like, okay, this com company sounds legit that I'm going to buy a table that I haven't, haven't seen in person and that they're just going to have it shipped here and it's going to be a great quality. And that's what I think that's what, how the name will affect my business where it will grow from local to other, the from nationwide is what the goal is because that just seems like the best way that most sense for the business to be is by doing other states and people across the country. Uh, my focus is tables. So I, I think I'm not going to start with the first part of the name, but it's the last part is going to be table company. And so that's how I, I plan on like, so everyone knows that, Hey, this guy does tables. And so that's what, and that's what I want to be known as the company that builds great tables. When you're dealing with clients, either on the phone or over email, it doesn't matter your age, but when you're dealing with clients in person, and I know that you usually try to have a face-to-face -face meeting with anybody who's local, how do you get them over the fact that you are a 20-year-old kid who at any other shop could be an apprentice for that shop? How do you smooth over any fears that they might have of your age versus the quality of the product you put out? I feel like it's really just design of the shop um, where I kind of made it that look where people come in. It's like, okay, this is a real deal. Um, he might be 20, but he, he can build great tables and he, and he has this product here that we can pick out, pick out each tabletop they want. And also I, I just have tables sitting at the shop that I love. Like they'll, they get to feel the finished product. I get to talk about it. Um, I get to teach them about what their table is type of wood. And it's just kind of where I, I might not know everything about woodworking, but I know more than them where I can say, Hey, this, this table is going to, it's going to last you a long time. I use the best product I possibly can that I absolutely love. And there's just so many different things where I know when I first started, I didn't have a inventory of slabs that people could pick out from so people someone would call me or um, message me and say i'm looking for this table and then i would go talk to different um sawmills near me and be like hey do you have the, a slab this big and how much would it cost me and i would never know how much that slab's going to cost me because it's just always different with pricing and so me having the inventory in the shop definitely really helps i feel like every if i have a customer who comes to the shop it's probably like a 90% chance guarantee that they're buying something from me just because they're going to pick out one of the slabs that they absolutely fall in love with. And they're going to say, okay, I'm not, I don't really care that you're 20 because I've seen the way 
you finished your work and all that. And I love this tabletop. And so they kind of just, when you have the customers come over, they fall in love. They fall in love with the table. And I guess you kind of say they fall in love with me because I, <laughs> you have to learn how to talk to people and kind of get them to like trust you. It's really about trust. And my main thing is always like responding to customers, even if they're not really going to do work with me. Like if someone is looking for a small project, I'd be like, sorry, I can't do this, but here's a company that can because they're a smaller operation. And so I just always like, I keep the up uh, customers like after they do buy from me, I'll send them pictures. I'll say, Hey, this should be done this week. It just keeps them in the loop. And I always, I'll always ask them questions of what they think they want to do with it. And there's just so many options to make it unique to them that they really love that. You are new to this, but also doing it well. And that means that you are developing skills for your local area, selling in your local area and developing a good working process that makes your business run smoothly. You were talking about going more national and shipping your tables to different states and customers all over the US. And that is a very big jump. I know that you've had big jumps already going from your parents' garage and your father's tools to now selling $20,000 tables. But that jump from local to national and what it entails with shipping and that entire rabbit hole, what have you been doing to figure out that part of the market? And how are you going to attack that new aspect of your business? Really, uh, it, it definitely, when you explain it like that, it sounds super difficult. And <laughs> I guess I got extremely lucky with this contact I came in with. Um, she's, it was a friend of my mom's friend. And somehow like she said something about my tables and she was looking for people to have tables. And so she is pretty much going to take me to the top, I feel like, um, <laughs> which is, I, I guess it's good to say. And I, I'm really blessed to have to like get that contact from her because she already does all this stuff. She, she has imports from, I think, Indonesia, where they have like the traditional style tables that she sells. She sells chandeliers, like her whole site is built to sell expensive stuff. And so pretty much I was the branch off of that. So we've had so many conversations about like how packaging needs to be for different places. Should we do a wooden crate or should we, can we just get away with boxes? And it was just different like conversations of like, what's the most, or what's the best way to do this? And we've came to the fact that the best way is just to definitely crates like with wooden crates, because we don't want the tables coming back. And the other thing she's done is she has a lot of contact with like interior designers because she's gone to these different places. I know in October, me and her are going to a furniture show in uh, South Carolina, which a lot of people go to. And that's just how you're going to, you make connections by going places and meeting new people. And those connections are going to really take you to the top. And if she would have came to me a year ago, I would have not even close being ready. She would have, <laughs> she would probably laugh at me. Like, what, what is this? You're in a garage right now. Um, but with the new like shop and then the tools I have, I have a flattening machine coming in uh, December, which I can't wait to get because that's even going to make the process a lot better because right now I'm taking it to someone else to get flattened. The only thing I would say would be just if when I get to that point with her is I need to get 
and employees and, and stuff so I can make the process quicker. And so I'm ready for to do that and make that step with her. If she would have come to you a year ago, you still would have been in high school and you would have. You... <laughs> yeah, she would. have. Well, that would be two or is it two years ago. I've been in high school, but I still would have been in the, my parents garage like with looking with no dust collector, just dust all over the ground and stuff like that. So she would have laughed. <laughs> we can joke about it because it is funny, but there's also that aspect of this that is serious, incredibly serious, because you are running a business that's growing by leaps and bounds every single month. And you are putting in that work. And yes, it's a, a very short time frame, but the amount of work and the amount of effort and the amount of thinking, thinking about the business and thinking about how to position yourself in the market and with your sourcing and with your clients, all of that is very serious and is why you're so successful and have been so successful in such a short amount of time. There are, are people who are looking to start a furniture company and they could be your age and they're thinking, in 10 years, I'll start a furniture company or they could be your age and hearing this and saying, Maybe I'll start one right now. And there's also people who have been running their own company for a long time and hear this story and hear the whirlwind of success that you've had and say, I want that. My business has been stagnant and I need to reinvigorate it. For those people, from your experience, what advice could you give to them that either you have from yourself or you've been told throughout your yes, short, but very successful journey? First part is going to be kind of simple. It's just, I kind of, I just go all in on it. Um, make it, if you like it, I love doing business. So I, I was something I was like, okay, let me go all in. I would say that, but at the same time, especially for someone who has a family, make, I would say probably have a backup plan just in case which I, I'm, I know you have people on here that do it part-time is what, but um, which if you have a family, it's super smart to do that until I would say until that company takes over what you're making for that job, do them both. And you, you have to grind. It's, it's a business. You have to, you have to grind no matter what. And I would say that's definitely the number one way to kind of grow your business is to, to work hard with it. But loving it too, I guess, is I, like, I think this is so fun to be a part of like doing, figuring out different stuff for the business, figuring out all this other, and I enjoy it. And then I guess the other thing would be making those connections with people, just reaching out to people, even though like, what's the worst that happened if not responded or something like, well, there's, that's not a big deal. Reach out to someone else, talk to like, and figure out things that you can do to grow your business and learn from, and especially like learning from your mistakes. I, that's definitely, I know when I first started, I had no idea what moisture content was. And so I was building these uh, projects in my house and all of a sudden the next, like it was, it was, they were cut from a tree like the day before all of a sudden, like two days later, they're cracking. I was like, what, what's going on? What is, <laughs> I thought we could just use the wood and it works like that. Cause I was never taught that in high school, what moisture content was. It was just always kiln dried and stuff like that. So um, learning from your stakes and just going all in, I would say, would be like the best way you can kind of grow your business. Hearing you talk and having this conversation with you 
has really been eye-opening. And I love hearing that you're enjoying running a furniture company at your age. You're excited about it because furniture companies and the idea of building furniture as technology and as that aspect of the business grows, the hands-on approach and the, the love for actually building a piece of furniture for some seems to be falling a little bit behind, but hearing you and the fact that you are loving it so much really just makes me feel good about where the industry is headed. So I want to thank you for, for loving what you're doing for sitting down and talking with me and sharing your knowledge with everybody listening and I want to wish you the best of success moving forward. And I really can't wait to see what you do next. Yep. Thank you very much. It was definitely an honor to be on here and to talk to you. Yeah, this was really fun. And I, I'm i super excited for what the future holds. And um, I'm just happy that I can kind of control my own destiny, I guess you could say, and do what I love to do. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at TheBuildWithEthan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.